Hi, I'm Jordani Karma, and I've loved to read ever since I can remember. But somewhere between college and the real world, I miss the memo and what I could be reading as an adult. For years, I thought of adult fiction as this book's secret that everyone was in on but me. I decided to change that by focusing on fiction for a year and choosing books based on a specific genre or theme for each month. This is season one, episode three of Reading Like an Adult, and we're going to talk about romantic comedies. One of the book dilemmas that modern readers face is simply knowing where to start. There are so many books out there. There are classics you keep meaning to get around to, contemporary books you made a mental note to try when they came out a few years ago, and every week more new books are released. I didn't know where to start, but I knew I had to start somewhere. So I read a lot of book lists. I started with Goodreads and the best of lists that come out at the beginning of each year, and I branched out to recommended lists from authors I follow, lists of highly anticipated books to pre-order, and you haven't heard of this book, but it's great lists for titles that might have flown under the radar. I have to give a big shout out to Ann Bogle's Modern Mrs. Darcy blog, and What Should I Read Next, and One Great Book podcast. Bogle has been recommending books to readers for years, and her reading experience and book knowledge make for an incredible shortcut for anyone new to the world of contemporary adult fiction. I don't love every single book I try on a recommendation, but the wide range of genres and styles recommended on the show inspire me to branch out and see what happens. This month's theme of romantic comedies was inspired by one of my favorite Anne Vogel recommendations, Happiness for Beginners by Catherine Center. I read this book last year after a frustrating streak of attempting and putting down several fiction titles, and it gave me hope that I could read and enjoy adult fiction. Vogel dedicated an episode of her miniature book recommendation podcast, One Great Book, to Happiness for Beginners, and you can find a link in the show notes. Happiness for Beginners is a story of Helen, a woman whose life is starting over at age 32, after a heartbreaking miscarriage and a tough divorce. Her fresh start happens on a three-week wilderness survival course that will test her, push her to her physical and emotional limits, and ultimately show her that she didn't know her own strength. It's a family drama, a romance, a wilderness epic, and a later-in-life coming-of-age story all in one. Thanks to help from a thoughtfully written cast of key supporting characters and the discovery of her own unexpected strength, Helen realizes that life can start over for her and perhaps be even better than she ever thought it could be. I loved this book in part because I love a coming-of-age, becoming-a-better-version-of-yourself type of story. One of my great book loves is contemporary YA, And Happiness for Beginners had a lot of the same components that a book about, say, a 17-year-old facing her last summer before the end of high school does. I love the tight timeline that the wilderness survival plot gives the book, how it's a story of how everything can change in just a few weeks. I love that it's a fairy tale structure with a modern, relatable, believable heroine and plot. Maybe think wild meets while you were sleeping. But as we talked about in the last episode, a big difference between YA fiction and adult fiction is that adult fiction is about perspective and growth. Helen has lived a life before we ever meet her on the first page of the book. 
Much of happiness for beginners is about sifting through the tough events that shape us, reframing our memories of them, and healing enough to move forward. During a month of reading what I'm calling romantic comedies, I discovered that I demand a lot from this genre. For a story to hook me, I need an interesting heroine, a fast-paced plot, and struggle or conflict that could happen in real life, something I can relate to on some level. Side note, I'm using a pretty broad definition of romantic comedy for this month's theme. Others would probably simply call it chiclet, which isn't my favorite term in the world. I looked for contemporary fiction that's aimed for a female audience, would often be put on the romance or women's fiction shelves in the bookstore, and features a female protagonist and some kind of romantic element, even if romance isn't the main point of the story. The first book I completed during this month of rom-coms was The Assistance by Camille Perry. The premise is fun, sharp, and timely. Female assistants to super wealthy businessmen work together to steal enough money from the expense accounts to pay off a mountain of student debt. The Assistance is a fast, fun read with a screwball comedy vibe that I really enjoyed. There's banter, there's quirky characters, it has a romance and a caper and conflict that comes from class tension, all of which are key screwball comedy elements. I'd recommend it as a beach read if that's what you're looking for, but it has heart too. The Assistance is definitely an escapist fantasy. How many millennials out there wish their student debt could be erased right now? but it treats all of its characters kindly. Rich people and poor people alike are still people, not cartoons. The next book I loved during my month of rom-coms was Confessions of a Shopaholic by Sophie Kinsella. It's a book that feels light and easy to read, but I think Kinsella pulls off something really difficult. Laugh out loud funny writing that almost disguises how well the story is structured and how clearly her heroine's voice comes across. It's not easy to write a first-person narrative that still gives the reader a vivid picture of the story's protagonist, but in my personal opinion, Kinsella pulls it off with this introduction of her Becky Bloomwood character to the world. At first, Becky feels like a lightweight protagonist, whirling through one shopping spree after another, not really paying attention at work, floundering in her personal life. But even though her escapades are stylized and told in a fun, over-the-top way, her struggles with money, identity, and addiction are incredibly relatable. Like anyone else living in late capitalism, she believes the story that each new shiny object tells her, that this is the one thing she needs to live her dream life. Haven't all of us been seduced by a product in the same way at some point? If I buy this dress, it will become my signature outfit. If I buy these shoes, I will be stronger, sexier, more put together. People will pay more attention to me. If I buy this online course, I'll suddenly become smarter. Maybe I'll start my own business. If I buy this daily planner, I'll become more organized. Because the story needed to continue in the rest of the Shopaholic series, Becky couldn't completely learn her lesson about the ultimate emptiness of shopping in book one. But she does learn a lot about trusting her own instincts and prioritizing the people she loves. I don't know about you, but those are reminders I can always use, and living them out vicariously through a sweet, hilarious, flawed heroine was so much better than experiencing them through painful lessons in my own life. In month three of my year of fiction experiment, I really enjoyed leaning into the way fiction can put us in someone else's shoes. 
For my next read, The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang, I was able to see the world in a new way. Unlike the other books I'm discussing on this episode, The Kiss Quotient is first and foremost a romance. Fair warning, it's very much an adult book, in both perspective and treatment, and in content. There are some deeply steamy scenes, and it's an open-door romance. The Kiss Quotient wasn't the book I'd normally be drawn to, but I was hooked on the improbable love story, half of which is told through the perspective of an autistic woman. It's a retelling of Pretty Woman with the male and female roles reversed. Stella is a brilliant econometrician whose on-the-spectrum view of the world enhances her focused, detail-oriented work. But she struggles to connect with people, especially when it comes to dating. How do you boil a romantic relationship down to numbers? Stella decides to bring in an expert, a male escort named Michael. As they say, hilarity and romance ensue. You'd Be Mine by Aaron Hahn, my next read in my month of romantic comedies, seems to be categorized as YA by some readers, but I think I'd put it into the bridge genre of new adult fiction. New adult is a growing genre that focuses on characters who are in college or in their early 20s. It features coming-of-age stories with a more adult treatment than you'd find in YA. In You'd Be Mine, Clay is a bad boy country superstar in the vein of Toby Keith, and he needs Annie, the reluctantly famous daughter of two musicians, think a Johnny and June type of romance, to be the opener on his summer tour. Sparks fly, inevitably, but both Clay and Annie will have to confront their own demons before they can truly fall for each other. In You'd Be Mine, both of the characters are over 18 and, while young, are essentially operating as adults in a very adult world, sold-out stadiums and hit records, the world of best-selling country music. So I decided to count it as contemporary adult fiction. If you're looking for a novel that feels like a country-era Taylor Swift song in book form, this is it, and I mean that as a high compliment. My last read in a very fun month of romantic comedies was Love Walked In by Marissa de los Santos. I highly recommend this read for anyone who loves old movies as much as I do. It starts in a coffee shop where manager Cornelia is swept off her feet, sort of, by a Cary Grant lookalike who can banter with her the way she always imagined Mr. Wright would. She's definitely seen the Philadelphia story too many times. I couldn't have been more at home with the cultural references in this book, which features a lot of nods to 40s screwball comedies, the works of Anne of Green Gables author Ellen Montgomery, and even Ponset, a beloved dish in Filipino culture. But Love Walked In is ultimately a good read because it has multifaceted characters who feel like real people, and a plot that takes literary tropes and does new and unexpected things with them. My reading inspiration for this episode is to take a minute to think about the moments in your day when you have time to read, and then try to match your reading life to those parts of the day. For example, maybe you can take 15 minutes to read during your lunch break, or maybe you can read for a little while before bed on most weekdays. Maybe those are the only times you have during a normal work week. That's fine, you can still get in reading time here and there if you have the right reading material. If lunch is your time to read a few pages, you're going to have to pick a good lunch book. If bedtime is best, choose something you don't mind reading before bed. Everyone will have different opinions on what defines a good lunch book or bedtime book. 
I made the mistake of trying to read The Girls by Emma Klein over lunch breaks at work. It didn't go well for the same reasons why the book is great. It's an immersive, disturbing, beautiful read that needs more quiet and focus than you'll typically find in the office break room. But something light, sweet, and heading for a happy ending like Confessions of a Shopaholic would, in my opinion, be perfect. Thanks for listening. The books mentioned in this episode were Happiness for Beginners by Catherine Center, The Assistance by Camille Perry, Confessions of a Shopaholic by Sophie Kinsella, The Kiss Quotient by Helen Huang, You'd Be Mine by Aaron Hahn, Love Walked In by Marissa De Los Santos, and The Girls by Emma Klein. You can visit readinglikeanadult.com for the show notes. This episode was written, narrated, and produced by me. I'm Jordani Karma, and I'm glad you're joining me on this reading journey. In the next episode, we'll talk about 